All right, if you take out your Bibles this morning, take out your sermon notes. There should be some sermon notes that are near you if you like to take notes. And let's go to the book of Luke chapter 1 this morning. Let's go to the Luke chapter 1. As we approach the Christmas day, as Pastor Kevin will be speaking out of uh, Luke chapter 2 next week, and uh, Pastor Kevin, does, him and his family will be the last Sunday that will be with, with this until another visit or time, but they're moving to uh, Washington. And uh, we encourage you to do the gifts, cards, or whatever donations you want. There's a box back there for them. As we come to Luke chapter 1, it is like Christmas decorations that we put up to announce that Christmas is coming. And God is putting before us in Luke chapter 1 some, some decorations, some signs of the birth of Jesus Christ that we'll hear about next week in Luke chapter 2. Christmas is meant to be a time of awe and wonder. I love what Aaron said yesterday at the men's breakfast that when we were sharing things that we loved about Christmas, and he said he loved seeing his daughter's face light up at the wonder and beauty of Christmas. And seeing the kids get excited about the, the Christmas story and the decorations, Christmas lights, those things. I confess that there are times I miss some things at Christmas, or I just overlook them, the busyness, you know, the, the things that uh, happen during this time. I feel at times like the grandpa who was shopping for Christmas gifts, and he found it had become too difficult to buy the right present for everyone he loved, so he decided to send checks to everyone instead. In each card he wrote, buy your own present, and mailed them early. Enjoyed the usual flurry of family festivals, and it was only after the holiday that he noticed that he had received very few cards in return. Impulsive over this, he went to a study, intending to write a couple of his relatives and ask what had happened. It was then he cleansed, cleared off his cluttered desk, and he got the answer. Under a stack of papers, he, he, he was horrified to find the gift checks, which he had forgotten to enclose with the cards. <laughs> That's the way I am sometimes. <laughs> Let's not miss the wonder and the awe of Christmas. Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. The scripture says this. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah who was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes and careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive. They were both very old. We see in the scripture that as a reference to these t t t uh, this older couple. And Zechariah and Elizabeth had a condition that was beyond anything they could do. They had no children. 
And they had prayed that God would answer their prayers to have a child. They had prayed for 30, 40, some years, the same prayer. God, we'd love to have a child. And they prayed and they prayed and they got past the age of having children and God had not answered that prayer. And sometimes we are in that place, in that position. Maybe you, at this Christmas season, you have a prayer. Maybe it's for one of your family members that you've been praying for. It's a loved one. And you would love to see them at a different spot in life. Maybe there's something that's in your own heart and, uh, about this Christmas season, and you're praying, and you have been praying. And maybe it's been many Christmases that you've been praying this same prayer. Sometimes there's, a, there's reasons why God doesn't answer prayer in our lives. There are a number of reasons why we could say this from the Scriptures. Sometimes we just we ask amiss. Sometimes our, our motives are wrong. As it says in James chapter 4, we ask outside of the will of God. You know, say, I'd like to do this and decide what God wants for us. And our behavior sometimes are the things that hinder our prayers. The way a husband treats his wife or wife or husband or, or loved ones. Sometimes these are things that hinder our prayers. And sometimes it just comes down for unanswered prayers in the sovereignty of God. Sometimes God heals a person. Sometimes God doesn't heal a person. Sometimes God answers this prayer for that person. Sometimes he does it in the sovereignty of God that this is, this is something that in God's mind, if we knew God and knew his view, we would understand what he was doing and we'd agree with him. Sometimes we don't. Well, this morning, we're going to see Zachariah and Elizabeth, they get an unanswered prayer answered. And it's this, the point is of this unanswered prayer that Sometimes God says it's, it's just not the right time for your prayer to be answered. And we pray and we pray and we pray, and then at the right moment that God answers our prayer. Let's read verse 8. One day Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for this order was on duty that week, for his order was on duty that week. And as the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. And while the incense was being burned, a great crowd outside praying. We want to stop and explain the situation and get the scene here. Only priests from a particular lineage could serve in the temple. And over the years, the number of priests had multiplied. There were said at this time that there was probably about 20,000 priests in the time of Jesus. And so they used the, the, the lot to determine which priests would serve. Now, the lot meant uh, that it was, a, it was something like a game of chance, but in the sovereignty and the providence of God, that they felt that God would choose the right person at that right time. And the lot was used in different ways. Um, sometimes it is said that there would be, you know, different stones in there, and there might be a, a black stone or a white stone among the other black stones. And they would reach in and they would grab it, and, and if they grabbed that, sometimes it was a piece of paper, sometimes they would take a, 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 
a clay jar and they would bust it up into pieces, and they, but they would mark one of the, the pieces of the pottery and they'd reach in and grab a piece and if that piece had been marked, then they were the chosen one. Or sticks or pieces of paper, they would write on that and they would choose that. So however it was, this was the lot. They used the lot to determine which priest would serve. The lot to serve might fall to a priest only once in his life of these 20,000 priests. And to a godly man like Zechariah, this probably was the biggest event of his life. A tremendous privilege, a once-in-a-time, lifetime opportunity. Surely he, he wondered what it would be like to enter the holy place, to be that person who gets picked and goes in and does the duty for, of the priests. Maybe he was thinking, what would it be like? Praying to God and God praying to him. The whole event was filled with enormous anticipation. Isn't it kind of like Christmas morning? I don't know when you open presents, whenever you open presents. Our house, and the way I was raised, we had to do it, our tradition and the way we did it with my family, the way we did it with our kids as well. We opened Christmas presents Christmas morning. That's the right way to do that. <laughs> but there was that anticipation of coming in and opening and seeing what is under the tree, that, that, uh, uh, that event, that, that special spot, that special time. Imagine what Zachariah was going through in his mind of this special event that he was getting ready to be chosen to fulfill. Let's talk about the incense. The incense, according to the law of Moses, was offered to God on the golden altar every morning and every evening, according to Exodus chapter 30. By this time, it was established a, a ritual of practice. There were several lots cast to determine who did that, who did what at the morning, uh, served at the morning sacrifice. And the, the first lot determined who would cleanse the altar and prepare its fire. The second lot determined who would kill the morning sacrifice and sprinkle the altar. The golden candlestick and the altar of incense. And there was a third priest. There were three priests picked every day for these duties. The third lot determined who would come and offer the incense. This was the most privileged duty. Those who received the first and second lots would repeat their duty at the evening sacrifice as well, but not the third lot. To offer the incense would be a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Before dawn, hundreds of worships would gather at the temple. The morning sacrifice began when the incense priest walked towards the temple through the outer courts. He struck a gong-like instrument. And at this sound, the Levites assembled and got ready to lead the gathered people in songs of worship to God. The other two priests chosen by Lot that morning walked up to the temple on each side of the priests chosen to offer the incense. All three entered the holy place together. One priest set burning coals on the golden altar. The other priest arranged the increase of the incense so it was ready to go. Then the two priests left the temple and the, in, the incense priest was left alone in the holy place. And in front of him was the golden altar of incense. Remember that incense represented prayer. It's the prayer that he was being offered. 
On that table lay the burning coals with little whiffs of smoke rising up ready for the incense. Behind the gold altar was a huge, thick curtain. Behind that curtain was the Holy of Holies, the most holy place where no man could enter except the high priest, and that only on the Day of Atonement. And as he faced the golden altar incense, to his right would be the table of showbread, and to his left would be the golden lampstand, which provided the only light for the holy place. As he stood there, the holy, holy place, the mercy seat of God was behind this thick curtain. And on the other side of a curtain was the people praying. Hundreds. They just waiting as the priest comes in and he offers the incense to God. The whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And when the people outside saw the two men exit the temple, they knew that the time to offer this incense had come. Those hundreds of people bowed or kneeled before the Lord, spread out their hands out in silence pray. They knew that at that moment, the incense priests prayed in the holy place in the very presence of God for the entire nation. That man was speaking for them to God with the incense. There followed several minutes of dead silence in all of the temple as Zechariah lingered in prayer in the holy place during this most solemn experience of his life. What did Zechariah pray? He must have thought about it very carefully beforehand. Oh, he could have taken a list. Probably he had it memorized. You know, this was a lifetime. This is one of experience. He had prepared for that moment his whole life to be the one that would go in and pray. He knew how long to pray because he attended the morning sacrifice as a worshiper many times before. And he knew how long the incense priest stayed in the temple. He must have prayed for both the needs of the nations which at that time was occupied and oppressed by the hatred Romans, he must have prayed for God to send a deliverer, a Messiah. Perhaps Zechariah prayed again for a son or for a daughter. Even though they're past years of age, we don't know what, if he prayed that. Or maybe he just prayed for comfort for his wife. Maybe he thought it was too personal to pray. We don't know what happened there. But he prayed for the Messiah, for the Deliverer, because that was the greatest thing that they would pray together. They're looking for that Redeemer, looking for that Deliverer. And understand At that time, there were 400 years of silence. They had not heard from God. They were waiting, trying to listen and imagine, why hasn't God spoken to us? His prophets, the voice of the prophets have dried up. There's no message. There's no... New prophetic truth from God. And they prayed and they waited for 400 years. 
In verse 11, And while Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. He's heard your prayer. Your prayer, Zechariah. The one that you have prayed over and over again. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth, and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. I want you to understand this, and I'm going to say something more about this phrase that I'm saying, the verse I'm saying. And he will turn many Israelites to Lord their God, and he will be a man with the spirit of power of Elijah, and he will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. And of course, he's talking about John, his son John, John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of Jesus Christ. And he will turn the hearts of the father to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the, the wisdom of the godly. When Zechariah came into that, uh, that place of, with that incense in his hand and praying for the, the nation and those prayers that were on, on his heart and to pray for the nation, but also on, and perhaps on his own personal, he had no idea that God would answer the two greatest desires of his heart at once. He announced the birth of Jesus Christ is coming and Zechariah, your wife is going to have a baby. His name is going to be John. And he's going to be connected to Jesus, the Messiah, Christ. He had probably completely given up on the idea of being a dad. It's a hope that was crushed over the years of disappointment, but God hadn't given up on it. He had taken that prayer, and sometimes our prayers are put in a reserve state to be open later on. Don't you just love presents that are said? You can open this present, but you've got to wait till such and such time. When I was in school, in my fifth or sixth grade, they had this guy named Greg. And Greg, and you have to understand, some of you will get this, it came out as a fashion a Peter's jacket that was called a Peter's jacket. And it was a, a jacket that, uh, that we all wanted at that time. And he wanted a, this jacket. And he had literally, he knew he was going to get one. He would literally open the Christmas present on that Monday, on, on the morning when his mom went to work. He would put the jacket on, wear it to school, come back home before she came home, and then wrap the present back up. And he did that for several days until she caught on. <laughs> This was a prayer in reserve to be answered later on. I'm reminded in Revelations chapter 5, you come to Revelation, there's the incense. It talks about the incense, and it is filled with, with the prayers of the saints and, and is being let loose, being answered in Revelation chapter 5. And, and what it is, that whole chapter is, is a powerful chapter because it is a revelation of Jesus Christ, the creator, the owner, the one that is the sovereignty, the king of kings, and the Lord of lords. He has been revealed at that moment. 
And so you and I have prayed over and over again, Lord, come quickly. Lord, we can't wait to see you. Lord, come and make things right. All those prayers are being put into reserve. And one day, God is going to let those prayers loose, and he's going to answer those prayers. Revelations chapter 5. Let's read on. Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is well in advance in years. The angel answered, said, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. I was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. Behold, you will be mute and not be able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. And people waited for Zechariah and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them, and they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned them to remain and he beckoned to them, and he remained speechless. And so it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed, that he departed to his own house. And now after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days where he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, the same angel that came to Zechariah, was sent by God to the city of Galilee, Name Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And we'll hear more about that next Sunday. Every day, for 400 years, the priest would go in to offer the incense of prayers. And the people would wait outside and pray, waiting to hear from God. Four hundred years of silence from God. Waiting for God to answer their prayer for the Messiah to come for deliverance. Four hundred years, that's 146,000 days. If there was a hundred people out there praying with the priests, that would be 14,600,000 prayers that were offered to God in prayer without an answer about the Messiah. And we could probably say there's much more prayers as offered. Once you understand at this moment, it's a very special moment because you remember the verse that we read? It said, turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. If we were to go back to Malachi, the end of the Old Testament, it is the very last two verses of Malachi that Gabriel gives to Zechariah. And it's like this, this interruption. There, there's, this, there's this pause in God's timetable and then and so then he comes, and for the first time, that moment for 400 years, God speaks to Zechariah and announces of, of the coming Savior and announces that Zechariah and Elizabeth will have a child. Where's the takeaway on this? Three things, and I have them in your notes. First of all, Christmas is an answer to a prayer to God. Did you ever think about that? 
We have Christmas because it's an answer to prayer, to a prayer. At the right moment, 2,000 years ago, as Galatians 4.4 says, at the set time, at the right time, Jesus was born. This is no accident. What are the odds that Mary's cousin Elizabeth would have a baby six months before Jesus was born? What are the odds that Elizabeth, who had passed the age of having babies in her old age, was told that you're going to have a child and is going to be a son and you're to name him John? What are the odds that Elizabeth's husband, Zachariah, the cousin to the, to, mother, to the mother of Jesus, that 15 months before the birth of Jesus was chosen by Lot, that from 20,000 priests to be one of the three priests to enter the temple, to be chosen by Lot among the three peace, priests, to be the one who would burn the incense and offer up prayers for the nation of Israel. What are the odds that 700 years before that, Prophet Isaiah would write these words that were given to him by God. He would write that the Lord himself would give us a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. God is with us. The awe and wonder of Christmas. My friend, Christmas is God's answer to our prayers. Jesus Christ was born to save us from, from our sins by dying on the cross. To pay the penalty for our sins. A television interviewer was walking on the streets of Tokyo at Christmas time, and the interviewer stopped one young woman on the sidewalk and asked, what is the meaning of Christmas? She responded, I don't know. Is that the day, is that, the day that Jesus died? And there was some truth in her answer. Christ was born to die. He's born to die for us, to take away our sins. Get ready to have a baptism in a few moments. The baptism doesn't wash away the, water, the sins. It doesn't cleanse us. It's not a, a, a ritual that, that is going to um, be a means to forgive our sins. No, Jesus has done that on the cross. And he said, when he said, he said, it is finished. That gift of salvation is completed. That is just a picture of what Christ has done for us. It's not doing more good than bad. doesn't take away the sins that we commit and the guilt of sin. Christ is the answer for the hole in our heart that we try to fill with things or we try to fill it with pleasure or we try to medicate the emptiness that's there. It's only Emmanuel when God is with us is that hole filled. The emptiness goes away. We know our purpose is there with God. If we haven't recognized this, Christmas is God's answer to the prayer of our soul. And then the question, is Christmas an answer to your prayer? Is the Christmas story an answer to your prayer, the answer to your greatest need of why Jesus would die, be buried, and rise again? We say that Emmanuel, God, is with us, with me. Let's have our heads bowed. And as our worship team gets ready to sing for us, let's bow our heads.
close your eyes for just a moment of silence. Personal revelation, the wonder of the birth of Christmas. Only God Himself could create such a miraculous event. An event that's so personal for each one of us. Listen, that if you were the only person that needed a Savior to die for your sins, God would have created Christmas just for you so that the Savior could be born and live and die for your sins. He did that for us. To be amazed by this. Perhaps God has touched your heart right now and inviting you into a relationship with Him. You sense this. God is trying to come and be Christmas. He's going to give you, and He wants to give you the greatest gift that has ever been given. If you sense that right now, I'm going to ask you, the quietness in your own heart to pray this prayer. You don't have to speak it out loud. It's between you and the Lord. Say these words from your heart. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. That I have sinned and my sin has separated you from me, a holy God. And I believe that Jesus was born to die on the cross for my sins. And God, at this moment, I accept you as the one who forgives me of all my sins, my past sins, my present sins, future sins. I accept you, Lord, into my heart, into my life. In the name of my precious Savior, Jesus Christ. Continue to bow our heads. If you prayed that prayer, I want you to tell someone before you leave this building. You can tell me. I'd love to hear about that. I'm sure Pastor Kevin or our wives just say, I've accepted Jesus in my heart. We'll rejoice with you and we'll give you some, some guidance of what that means and how you can grow in your relationship with God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonder of Christmas, for who you are and what you have accomplished. It is truly beyond our imagination and our natural understanding. You are an amazing God that we, can, can, that we can't help to say that as, as we are in your presence that we're awed, overwhelmed with your beauty and majesty. We are immersed in your glory. You take our breath away. We become speechless in your presence. And it blows our mind that you, the creator of all, God, deity, would take our flesh, our problems, our experiences, our issues. And you did that because you love us. Joy truly floods our heart. Joy has come to the world. 
we experience a love beyond loves, a peace that only you can give, and words are inadequate to express our thanks, so we give you our hearts and our lives to say back to you, we love you, God. Through the precious name of Jesus Christ, amen.